Hi, this is Dr. Paul Looney. Welcome again to Growing With God, Your Imperfect Parent. This episode looks at the third beatitude, Blessed are the meek. Thanks for joining us. This series is all about God's plan in your being born again and in your growing up in Him. Um, the first uh, picture in our uh, PowerPoint is a picture of a baby, a little kid uh, with a big pair of shoes on. And um, it's a, just a reminder of how much we all have to learn, how, how much we all have to grow if God has His way with us. And for all of us, we want to be willing to take the steps that will lead us from being a baby to being a fully formed uh, follower of Christ. Um, and we're saying in this series that it's the 12 steps and the eight beatitudes that help us in our process of growing. From that little infant stage to maturity, um, the 12 steps and the eight beatitudes give us some concrete um, steps that we can take in maturing. So as I said before, the title of our series is, Hi Daddy, Growing with God, Your Perfect Parent, Your imperfect parent. Now, why do I say imperfect parent? Well, if you're here for the introduction, you know that the perfect parent is not exactly perfect. In fact, the best parent um, is a good enough parent. It's the parent who is reasonably um, there for us. And we proposed in that, in that introduction that our failures help us to understand God's faithfulness, but His failures, in quotes, the times when we feel He is not there for us is where we grow in faithfulness to Him. The next slide talks about a concept called optimal frustration. And what we believe now um, through studies that have been done of children growing from birth to maturity is that children grow best when they provide what they need in reasonable supply. Not perfect supply, but reasonable supply. They need attention. They need attunement. That means the ability of the parent to connect with them at an emotional level. They need availability. They need mom and dad to be there for them a certain amount of the time. They need affirmation. They need a lot of positive support and encouragement. They need assistance at times, and they need answers. But they don't need them all the time. In fact, if a parent provides all of that always, it's actually a very strong deterrent to the child's growth. Because in optimal frustration, children learn self-soothing. They learn self-reliance. They learn perseverance. They learn ingenuity or creativity. They learn to take initiative and they find inner strength when the parent is unavailable. Isn't that great? Some of you who are parents can breathe a sigh of relief because you don't have to be perfect. In fact, you don't want to be perfect. You want to be good enough. And although God, from a cosmic perspective, is perfect, from our perspective, He's often imperfect. Have you ever re remembered a time when you were very clear about a decision you were making for your child, but they thought you were being terrible? They thought you were being mean and withholding. For something as simple as withholding a cookie before supper, your child may have thought you a monster, right? Well, sometimes we look at God and we don't understand. And that's no surprise because God says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so his thoughts 
are above our thoughts and his ways above ours. So it's going to be no surprise that we are at times going to experience frustration, confusion, doubt, and we're going to experience God as being less than perfect. Well, as I said before, we're, we're on a journey through the Beatitudes. And each of the Beatitudes begins with these words, blessed are. And we said that blessed comes from a Greek word, makarios, which means supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off, enviable, and happy. And it comes from a root that means to become long or large. And it has to do with the idea of growing up. In other words, we believe the Beatitudes help us to grow. They enlarge our heart, if you will, to experience more of God's goodness, His grace, and more capacity to give and receive love. The Beatitudes stretch us to grow. So just as a quick recap, we're going to look at the first Beatitude, which says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this Beatitude, we said that we become like a baby believer. In our, in our infancy, we experience several things. We cry out. And we said that the cry of a baby was significant of need. That every time the baby cries, he's expressing need. And when the baby cries and mom answers, or in the case of a believer, when we cry out to God and God answers our prayer, we experience connection or bonding. We attach to God when he answers our prayers. And in the beginning phases of our life with him, we often feel that he is right there with us. We feel completely tuned in to God and that he is always going to be there for us. In this, we experience what babies feel with moms, and that is a secure base, a sense that all is well, that the world makes sense, and that I have the confidence that if I reach out, if I exert myself, something good will happen. Well, very soon, babyhood is replaced by toddlerhood, and we all have a rude awakening because mom is not that fount of every blessing like she is with a baby. In fact, she begins to set limits. And we encounter what Jesus expresses in the second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Our bubble is burst, and we realize that the world is not our oyster, and that we don't get everything we want. At this point, we become the toddler believer or the toddler Christian. What do toddlers say a lot? No. Why do they say no a lot? Because they hear it a lot, right? Toddlers are explorers. They like to reach out. They like to stretch out. And when they do, they come up against limits and boundaries. Now, limits and boundaries have their function, but for a toddler, they are the enemy. Toddlers want freedom. They want autonomy. They want to go where no one has gone before, right? But mom has to set limits. And as a believer, when we come into the kingdom, we, get, we start feeling our oats and we start trying to take back over the reins of our life. And like a toddler, we just define what's mine. We want to do things our way. We want God in the picture all right, but we want him to fit into our plan. Anybody relate to that? Well, God doesn't do that. And so like a toddler, we have to deal with those limits and boundaries. We have to deal with a feeling of separateness, that God is not for us in the way that we originally thought he would. And we have to cease believing in the God as that we would have him be and come to know God as he really is. In this, we can come to a place where we assert ourselves with God. Now, a lot of believers don't know that you can say no to God. A lot of believers don't know that you can be angry with God. When I have someone coming to my office 
who is dealing with a, a tragedy, um, sometimes it's very clear they've got a lot of anger. And I'll ask them, like, so are you angry with God about this? And they'll like sometimes have this shocked look like, you can be mad at God, you know? Or like, yeah, they'll like kind of whisper like, yes, but I'm afraid if I say it, he'll strike me. Um, they're afraid to go toe-to-toe with God because God is much bigger than we are. And we have some sense that he has something in mind that we can't quite get. But if you look at a toddler, toddlers are fearless in expressing their feelings, right? They don't care how big you are. They are totally willing to tell you no and to throw an absolute fit when they don't get their way. Now, I'm not suggesting that every day we need to be throwing a fit with God. But I am saying that God is a good parent and he wants you to be honest. He wants you to be authentic. Because unless you're able to assert yourself with God, you are not gonna have the powerful relationship with him that you need. And you're never gonna go beyond being a toddler Christian. You have to be willing to tell God how you feel. The Bible says it this way, cast your cares on him because he cares about you. Whatever you're feeling, he wants to know. The Psalms are living proof that God holds special the things that we share with him, even if it's from a dark place. Well, the toddler Christian goes through the process of grieving. And at the end of the day, the toddler lets go his fantasy of complete power and and autonomy. The toddler realizes that he or she must yield to those limits and boundaries. And at that point, the child moves into a stage of development that we often will call yielding, which is encapsulated in this third beatitude, which is blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I tell you, we had three boys, and when the, when the last one turned three, we threw a big party, right? Because three-year-olds start understanding a little bit more about why things are the way that they are. They begin to be a little more reasonable. They become a little more human and a little less animal, right? At least that's the way I think about it. But Jesus invites us in this third beatitude to take a turn in our development um, to being less defiant and assertive and more accommodating. At this point, we grow into the child Christian. We learn to um, ask the question that you hear a lot from kids at this stage, which is, why? Anybody relate to that? Mommy says, Mandy, put on your shoes. Mandy says, why, Mommy? We're going to go for a ride. Why? Because we're going to go to the grocery store. Why? We need to buy food. Why? Because we have to eat. But why? God made us that way. Why? I don't know. Put on your shoes. We're going now. Right? (laughs) Kids ask why. They have a lot of curiosity Um, they begin to ask things like, where do babies come from? They want to know. Having realized that they don't have all the answers and that the world is not their oyster, they begin to try to figure the system out. Try to figure out, really, who has the power? Where does rain come from? What about the wind? Why can't I take my brother's toy? Why can't I have a cookie before dinner? We ask that question a lot. And if we are going to engage with God in an authentic way, we're going to ask this question. Because a lot of the things that he does or allows us to experience do not, on the surface, make sense. They just don't. 
I had a lot of conversations about why he made men and women when it seems to cause so many problems, right? Isn't it crazy how differently men and women engage reality and how freaking difficult it is to communicate, right? It's amazing. And I'm like, God, are you sure you knew what you're talking about, what you're doing when you did this? Um, but God wants us to wrestle with him. He wants us to ask the questions. He wants us to engage curiosity. Once we've in, 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 uh, come to a place where we are aware of our needs as a little baby, we're aware of our feelings, we can experience openness to not only ourselves, but to others. We can be aware of mommy's mood or the tone of her voice. We get to uh, very good at figuring out when she says now, when she really means now. Um, we get to knowing just where limits can be pushed. And we're very open to not only our own experience, but to the experience of others. We also develop something called acceptance. Um, the, the last stage of mourning is acceptance. And when a child has gone through the toddler stage well, they come to a place where they can set aside the black and white thinking of toddlerhood and accept that things are not always as they appear on the surface. They can be more accepting of the fact that things are not always black or white. They can set aside judgment and defer judgment to be more open to instruction and teachability. This is all brought about by love, by trust. By asking the why question, the child realizes that the rules really are for him. They begin to realize that, that the reason that mom won't give them a cookie before dinner or let them go play before they do their homework, is ultimately to support the child in growing. And the love and trust in that allows the child to defer or to yield to the parent, to follow their lead, to be willing to trust that when the, when the father or mother offer instruction or direction, that it's ultimately for the good of the child. A healthy relationship um, with, with curiosity, openness, and acceptance, and love fosters uh, a real sense of ability to accommodate to others, to be able to, um, to yield to other people in, in my, my life. When we yield, we make room for other people. If you see a yield sign and you're driving, you have to adjust your speed to get in the flow of traffic, or you have to stop to let the other traffic go first. And yielding is something that keeps us safe. Um, a child who learns to yield can be trusted to go play down the street because the mother knows the kid is not going to run into the run into the street or uh, torch somebody's house or do something that would be destructive, because the child has learned to yield. The child has learned to defer to the wishes of the of the parent. The child's learned to be able to um, to accommodate to other people. The cool thing about this stage is that a child really can become teachable. And when we are on this journey of maturity through the Beatitudes or through the 12 steps, this third step is all about becoming teachable. It's all about being open to, uh, to direction from other, other people. And at this stage, children begin to learn all kinds of things. Um, there's a lot of times when kids are learning these things, they say, look at me. Look, mommy. Look, daddy. Look at me. Isn't that cute, kid? Um, because the kids are learning things 
that before have been impossible. By being open to teaching or instruction or coaching, the child learns to count. They learn the alphabet. They begin to learn to read, to ride a bicycle, and do all kinds of cool things that kids are delighted in. And when we learn about yielding, when we learn about meekness, we get to grow. We get to learn new things. And some of you who get a sponsor, who go to support groups or get, get in a step study, you put yourself in a teachable place and your ability to understand the things of God begins to expand exponentially. It's a very exciting time and it's very cool. At this stage, parents can teach their children things like saying please and thank you or setting the table. Um, it's kind of a chore to teach someone, to impart to them something that you have, but the reward goes on and on and on. When you teach your child to set the table, they can do it from then on. If you teach them to say please and thank you, or yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, that's something that they can take through life that will allow them to live in the world with grace, to, to learn how the system is set in place, to learn courtesy and respect, to learn to be able to be in relationship with people in a way that generates a sense of honor. It's a great thing. Well, the, the word that Jesus uses here is a, is a Greek word, praeutes. And you may wonder, why am I talking about praeutes? Because literally, praeutes means power under control. The word meek rhymes with weak, but it is anything but weak. In fact, Jesus says, I am meek and lowly in heart. He tells us that he um, is the embodiment of of meekness, but he was not the embodiment of weakness. Power under control is a, is a term, this praetis term, is used to refer to horses that have been gentled or broken, if you will. Um, horses who have learned to respond to a rider, learn to respond to leadership, learn to be gentle in the way they, re, they respond to a master. There's a uh, equestrian event called the steeplechase, which is really cool. It began way back in the, I don't know, 1700s or so, um, when they would uh, race horses from the steeple of one town to the steeple of another because the steeples were easy to see. And they would go cross-country over hedges and brooks and everything. But the steeplechase event is something that's quite amazing because in the steeplechase, horses are asked to, to traverse um, solid barriers. If you see here, there's a hedge that the horse can't see across. And in this case, there's water on the other side. Now, horses are not the smartest animals on the planet, but they're smart enough to know not to jump over something that's solid because there could be a cliff on the other side. There could be water or anything else. But in steeplechase, the horse is able to traverse an, a, a barrier that would be impossible without the rider. Why is that? Because of the relationship between horse and rider. It's a relationship of trust. And the, the rider has been on the course before. The rider knows what's on the other side. The horse doesn't, but the rider does. And by signaling the horse, the rider can allow the horse to jump just the right distance to, to pass the barrier. What does that have to do with spiritual life? Well, it has a lot. Because if we learn to trust God, if we learn to let Him have the reins of our lives, if we learn to respond to his direction, then we can do things that would otherwise be impossible. At this stage of our development, this stage of being a child Christian, 
we can learn through listening to God and listening to others, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, we can learn how to live life in a way that was formerly impossible. It's a great thing. As I said before, a good parent answers the why questions. Not all of them, but enough to satisfy the child that he, that the parent is there for the child. In the, each of these interactions, trust is built. And the child learns that the limits and the rules support loving relationship. But even children need to have their say. Children need to be able to ask why questions and need to, to input into decisions that affect them. There's a guy named Patrick Lencioni who wrote a book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And he says this, reasonable people do not have to have their way, but reasonable people need to have their way considered. And a good parent will allow the child to give their input into a decision before the final word is offered down. I believe that God, as a good parent, wants our input. He wants to know where we stand with any, any issue in our lives, where we work, what we wear, what we eat, what house we live in. God wants us to participate. Does he have the final word? Hopefully, yes. But he wants us to participate. He wants us to buy in, so he wants us to speak our mind. If you haven't been authentic with God, then I can promise you, you are going to have an inner resistance to his leading if you haven't participated in the process. You need to engage with God. He wants us to make our will known and then to yield. As we said before, the process of mourning brings us to a place of acceptance. When we fully grieved, then we're completely spent. We don't have any energy left to, to protest or buck the system. At that point, we can begin to learn meekness. We can have that power under control. Now, some children, some of us, in fact, have learned from older siblings who did things the hard way, who beat their head against certain walls and learned that that wall is not going to budge. Not all of us have to learn the hard way. We can learn through somebody else's pain, right? We can learn to respect the boundary because somebody else hit their head against it. But let's face it, all of us in this room have had to learn some things the hard way, right? We've all learned meekness through mourning. We've all learned grace through our grief. We've learned to trust God after we've tried doing it our own way. Ultimately, though, we have to get our objections out of the way in order to submit fully. If you're sitting here thinking, wow, I wish I could be like, I wish I could go try what that person did. Um, like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, sort of at home wishing he could be, be out with the hookers rather than hoe in the field, right? Um, he, he didn't realize that it was better to be like his little brother and go find out that there's nothing there than to live wishing that he could go do it. God wants us to engage fully with him. We must get our objections out of the way in order to submit fully. We can't hold anything in reserve if we're going to live without reservations. If we haven't gotten rid of all the moaning and complaining and the crying within, we're not going to be receptive to the still, small voice of the Spirit. And we can't go from our head to our heart if our heart's not a safe place to be. 
Once we've been gentled or broken, though, we can have our feelings without our feelings having us. Isn't that cool? We can have our feelings. We can go to God. We can, we can share with Him our heart without demanding that He do it our way. Ironically, it's often in questioning God that we get to know Him better. There have been many things in Scripture that just did not make sense to me. And I didn't understand why He made me the way He did. Um, why He made us the way He did. Why He gave us the desires that we have. Um, and it's in questioning God that I came to a place of peace. Ultimately, God wants us to understand our place. Um, when, when God showed up for Isaiah, Isaiah realized how broken he was. And for many of us, that's when we found God was in our brokenness. But the cool thing about Isaiah's experience with God, and many of you can attest to this, when God shows up in your brokenness, there's something amazing that happens. Because we see that in our place of brokenness, in our place of inadequacy, God's, God's uh, voice to us is one of affirmation. He comes to us um, and he touches us in a way that reassures us that we belong to him. With Isaiah, there was a call from the altar that was touched to his lips. For us, it's being touched by the, by the power of Jesus' sacrifice. And in that place of grace and acceptance, we can say, like Isaiah, here am I, send me. That's when we move from being a toddler to a child Christian, where we're ready to serve. We're ready to yield. We're ready to be meek. We're ready to enjoy what is ours. Once we relinquish our need to exert control, we begin to feel calmer and more centered. Once we make a decision to let God be in control, we can be present in a way that's not possible before. We can have the assurance that everything will be well. Like the uh, slide before this one that talked about being curious, open, accepting, accepting and loving. We can be mindful of life in a, in a new way when we get off the throne. When we let God have his way, then we can relax. There's great strength in being meek. There's great strength in being able to surrender. This attitude is captured in the third and the 11th steps of the 12 steps. Step three says it this way. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Isn't that awesome? We made a decision. After ceasing to believe in our own efforts, after realizing that God is not gonna do it our way, we make a decision to be meek. We make a decision to surrender. We make a decision to turn our will and our life over to Him. The 11th step says it this way, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for the knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry it out. The meek person recognizes the beauty and the freedom in giving up the throne. The meek child has no sense of ultimate responsibility, but a keen sense of his or her part in the process. Because he or she feels the presence and protection of the parent, 
it becomes possible to try new things. If you're stuck in your life right now, if you're feeling like that toddler um, uh, in a tantrum, feeling like God's not there for you, uh, perhaps you need to engage with Him more fully. Don't hold on to your grief. Don't hold on to your why questions. Don't try to figure it out over here and then come and say, okay, God, I got it. No, get with God. Engage with Him. Ask Him the hard questions. Tell Him the feelings, the fears, the failures that are, that are uh, keeping you back. Don't be afraid to engage with Him because He wants your whole heart. Ultimately, Jesus is the picture of, of meekness. Ultimately, he leads the way for us. Um, in Matthew eleven twenty five through 30, he says this. At that time, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that was your good pleasure. He's talking about little children. All things, he goes on, have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the, father, the Son chooses to reveal Him. In verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the promise for every one of us here tonight. But we have to, to go to God with our grief before we can get the grace. Look at Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the most beautiful example of meekness in all of Scripture, I believe. What did Jesus do? Did he go to the garden and just say, okay, God, here I am, I'm ready to go? No, that was not Jesus' approach. What he said instead three times was, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Even though he was faced with, with the one thing he was born for, the one event that all of human history was leading to, the one thing that would free humanity from its bondage to sin and death and decay, he was still able to say, no, I don't want this. Please, anything but this. But he follows up his, his grief and his request with surrender. He follows it up by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is the ultimate attitude of weakness. It's being willing to say what I want, but being willing to defer to the one who loves me. That's where peace is. Meekness really is embodied in reading the instruction manual. Um, People who are meek know that you ought to follow the instructions. And um, I'm, I'm uh, sad to confess that I don't read the instructions very often. And it gets me in trouble. But God has given us an instruction manual. He's given us something we can turn to to get direction. And in this program, He's also given us brothers and sisters that we can go to for instruction. If we are meek, if we are teachable, if we're yielded, life will get better. If we get on this journey of growth and transformation that the Beatitudes and the 12 steps invite us to, we're gonna grow up and it's gonna be good. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for today. We thank you that every day gives us an opportunity to realign ourselves with you and with your word. Thank you that in this beatitude, Jesus calls us to turn from grief to grace, from bucking the system to being bridled and gentled and willing to let you have your way with us. God, thank you that meekness is power under control. God, we all need power. Having admitted our powerlessness and having come to believe that you can restore sanity, we wanna turn our life and our will over to you, that we can experience the power that flows from your authority. God, any heart in this room that is having trouble trusting you, I just pray that that heart would be empowered to engage with you fully and find you present for them. Find you a loving parent who is willing to go toe to toe and willing to answer the difficult questions in order to reassure us that everything is for love. God, tonight I, I pray for any person in this room who has not made that decision to trust you, said that prayer of salvation to yield to you, that tonight in this place, the decision would be made to trust you as our perfect parent, to trust you as the one who has our ultimate good in mind, that we can yield and know that we are safe. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior, who leads the way in meekness. We say with him, Lord, not our will, but yours be done. In Jesus' name, amen.